0: Welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation that I had recently with Michael Hyatt. In this conversation, we're talking about his brand new book, The Vision Driven Leader, a book where he shows leaders how to create a compelling vision to grow your organization, whether you're in crisis mode or not. This is something that I've seen him living out and teaching in his own organization, Michael Hyatt and Company, because I've known him for a while, as well as I follow a lot of the people that work at his company. And one of the things that he teaches is that having a clear vision for your organization is more important now than ever. So this conversation is not only timely, but evergreen. And Michael is one of the best people to speak on this topic. So... I'm just going to get out of the way and say, enjoy hearing Michael Hyatt's wisdom on being a vision driven leader. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back again, Michael Hyatt to the show. Michael, thanks for being here.
1: Eric, thank you so much for having me on yet again.
0: You've been there since the beginning of the show, and the show's in, in its almost eight years of podcasting. With Congratulations. Beyond. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It, the numbers get up there, but it's like there's still new topics to discuss. I don't think we've ever talked about this specific topic. You've got a brand new book out. It was surprising to me and then not surprising when I heard the title the vision-driven leader, because you're all about vision. Your organization is all about vision. I see you live it out. I follow you, but I also follow so many people, and I'm friends with so many people in your organization that like this should not surprise me. You live it out.
1: Well, thank you so much. I try. You know, I really think that vision is the foundation of everything. If you want a different life, if you want a different business, it's got to start with you imagining something better, something bigger, something that's you know going to be compelling to you. Otherwise, you're not going to change. And that's why I think even like when you talk about productivity, you know, unless vision precedes productivity, you can be very productive doing a lot of things that at the end don't matter. You know, it only matters in relationship to your vision in terms of what you're trying to create in the world.
0: Yeah, this is that step that comes before taking action. I mean, it's action in and of itself, but this is that thought process action where it's the deciding the right things to do and how that trickles out into strategy and mission. Which, again, there's two words right there that a lot of people confuse with vision, vision, mission and strategy. Uh, What would you say the difference is between those three?
1: Well, I would say mission is about what you do now and what you do uh, day to day. Vision is about where you're headed. It's about the future. It's about, you know, kind of the big picture that that gives the mission direction. Strategy is how you get to the vision. So I think of it as, as this way, you know, vision is the what strategy is the how your vision really shouldn't change too much from year to year although we you know we pull it every uh, out every year we revise it we polish it we fine tune it we get additional clarity but strategy can change You know, whenever it doesn't work, you know, if a strategy is not getting you to the destination, then you ought to change your strategy. You'd be stupid not to change your strategy. Locking into a strategy and not changing, you know, is kind of, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Definition of insanity. So, yeah, that's how I see those those three things differing.
0: You know, I'm not a huge sports fan, but I do enjoy watching a football game now and then. It seems like strategy would be the different plays in the playbook or, or even the playbook itself. But overall, the vision of the team and the, the mission of the team. Again, those get a little fuzzy still in my head. Is mission more seasonal and vision more long term or the other way around?
1: No, I think mission is where you're going to define who your audience is, what problem you're solving, what transformation you're trying to create. So for example, at my company, Michael Hyde and Company, the mission is pretty simple. You know, we help overwhelmed, high achievers get the focus they need to win at work and succeed at life. And so that's just what I'm doing every day. That's what my team is doing every day. You know, we're working to help those leaders get that kind of focus so that they can get what we call the double win, win at work, succeed at life. The vision, on the other hand, is what we're about, what we're building. And typically, it's a a three-year vision. It's an imagined future that's superior to the present. It motivates you. It guides your day-to-day decision-making. And it's something around which your team can rally. And in the book, The Vision-Driven Leader, I actually have a definition. I say vision is a clear, inspiring, practical, and attractive picture of your organization's future. And one of the key components, Eric, is that it has to be written down. There's huge power. And you know I believe in this for all things, goals, daily planning. You know, there's something about writing it down that forces you to get clarity, unlike like any other exercise, so it's got to be something written so that you can communicate it to others, so you can use it to inform, you know, your your own work, and so that when you get off track, you've got a way to find your, yourself back to the, to the destination that you're you're headed toward.
0: You can see what I'm doing here. I'm trying to get out of the way a lot of the. What vision is versus what vision isn't? Because a lot of people have experienced what vision isn't. They see it as, well, our head, you know, management leader person, you know, vague terms, of course, sat us down in a conference room and said, this is what we are now going to do and then spouted out some sort of mission statement. And we were supposed to take it and run with it. But that was not enough.
1: No, it's not enough. And there's not many people, frankly, that teach on vision. You know, I found about two books in the marketplace that talked about this topic. And yet everybody talks about as a leader, you need to be a visionary. But they don't teach this in business school, as far as I know. You don't usually pick this up from your boss. Very few organizations I've ever worked in were really vision-driven or had a clearly articulated vision. But in the few places where I've heard it taught, it's almost like you've got to come up with this really cute, really clever, short pithy thing that you could put on a coffee mug or a t-shirt and that somehow is supposed to guide your organization. That's not really a vision that I'm like, I'm talking about, I'm talking about, in fact, I use this term, a vision script. So it's, it's a longer document. You know, it's going to be three to five pages. It's going to talk about your vision for your organization in at least four key areas, what you see for your team three to five years down the road, what you see for your products, your marketing and the impact that you're going to have in a world. It, it, it more functions not exactly like a blueprint, but before you would start to build a house, you know, you certainly wouldn't have everybody show up with all the necessary resources and just start putting stuff together. You know, it's a recipe for disaster. And yet that's pretty much how businesses function. You know, people show up with their, their tools. They show up with the resources. They have a general or a vague idea of where they're going. You know, that we're building a house. It's going to have four bedrooms, but there's not agreement on some of the essentials. And so what a vision script does is it gives you uh, clarity in those four areas so that you know what you're building so that you can align around that. And the alignment drives the execution. So those three things are, are critically important to a sense of momentum and a sense of success in an organization, vision, alignment, and execution. But none of that can happen unless there's a vision.
0: So let's give some examples of this. Let's drill down into one of these, you know, these domains, these areas. Let's talk specifically about your team, because, again, as I mentioned, I'm following a majority or a large percentage of people that work in your organization, and I see them living out being part of the team. And you've basically got a stated culture and some of your core values. I'd love to dig into, you know, how your vision for the company implements in the state of your culture and your team.
1: So let me just give you some examples out of our three-year vision script. And we recommend for most companies, most organizations, that they think in terms of a three-year time horizon, Beyond that, things start to get kind of fuzzy because of technology and everything else is changing so quickly. Less than that means that it's typically not strategic. Now, there's some industries that might be an exception, you know, where you need to have a 10-year vision. But for most organizations, we have like 500 business coaching clients. And for them, for 98% of them, a three-year time horizon is great. But let me just give you what we have here as one of the paragraphs in our team section of our vision script. And by the way, we always encourage people to write this. First of all, write it. But second of all, write it in the present tense as though it has already happened. And I'll talk in a moment if you want about why that's important. Yes. But So one of the things we say is our employees experience reasonable autonomy, planning and executing their own work without the impediment of overbearing management, stifling bureaucracy or procedural red tape. We encourage innovation and experimentation. If something doesn't work, we learn from it and move on. Okay, so that's kind of a vision of how we want to be relating to our team. And when we talk about reasonable autonomy, we're really fighting against the whole idea of micromanagement. One of the things I learned from Daniel Pink in his book, Drive, is that if you want employees to stay with you, if you want to increase your retention, they've got to feel like they have control over their work. They've got a sense of autonomy. You know, they're not just working for, quote, the man. And so, you know, we said we don't want the impediment of overbearing management or stifling bureaucracy or procedural red tape. So, for example, in our company, when somebody needs some software tool, we don't require them to get approval, go to their boss. He has to sign off at it. We just say, look, just be an adult. If you need it, buy it. No questions asked. So that's what we mean by reasonable autonomy. And that does guide policy, decision making, day to day activity. Does it make sense?
0: Yes. And I love that the clarity is there, especially with the writing out of it, which we, we definitely need to talk about the, the importance of that. But I can't help but think that you're deciding ahead of time what it is you want and what it is you don't want or, or definitely where you've seen others or other organizations fail. Maybe, you know, you want to, you, so that you attract those people that are like, Oh, this is, you already have a, I mean, it, it's downplaying it to say you already have a quote policy on this. It's, it's more that you already have a thought through process on it.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's informed by that vision of a certain kind of workplace and a certain kind of corporate culture that we want. Let me just give you another one. This is important to us, as I said, the double win when it works, succeed at life. We say we we resource our teams so individuals can maintain intentional margin 85% of the time, enabling them to make their greatest contribution and ensuring their longevity with the company. We work closely with all teammates to help them maximize their time and work they love and at which they excel. Kind of go back to the desire zone idea that I talk about in my book, Free to Focus. Then we continue. We also empower each employee with a clear written path for growth in their work, updated each year. That's awesome. So we want people working in their desire zone where their passion and their proficiency come together. And we have these conversations around another tool I talk about in Free to Focus, the Freedom Compass. And that's an annual conversation because we know that the that more people the more that people are working in their desire zone the more satisfied they're going to be the more likely they are to to stay and retention's you know an important value to us.
0: Again, when I was alluding to, I see this play out not just in your team but also in the company as well. I was also talking about just the clarity of the products that you come out with and and how they relate to the market, you know, what kind of an impact you want to make. And in fact, those are the other three uh, areas, you know, what you do and who you're doing it for and and what you want it to do for them.
1: Yeah, totally. You know, another example from the product section of our vision statement, we say, and this I, this may sound simple, but I think this is an important insight for any business. Our ultimate product is not our information and tools, but the transformation our clients and customers experience when using them. To facilitate that transformation, we design products that delight our users, exceed their expectations, and deliver breakthrough results. So that's kind of becomes, and this is true for any kind of vision uh, script, it becomes a filter by which you evaluate or define what success is. And so when our products create that transformation, when we hear back from the marketplace that people are getting transformations, not only at work, but in their personal lives, that delights us because that's what we're after. And it is in, to the extent that we're doing that, we're, we're fulfilling the division, the vision that we've created for ourselves.
0: right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic? For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely, meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? That's kind of the end goal of a vision, to have what you're stating you want to happen, happen. But obviously, there's a lot of friction between, well, not only the initial creation of the vision, let alone the implementation, but then the end goal of having the rubber meet the road and the intent actually happen. Can you speak a little bit about the the beginning, the messy middle, and then the end of the process?
1: Yeah. Well, any vision that's worth pursuing is going to create resistance, you know, because you're you're trying to move against the status quo. You're trying to do something. You're trying to break out of business as usual. And of course, Stephen Pressfield has written a lot about the resistance, including his book, The War of Art, which is highly recommended. But you're gonna encounter, when you start to pursue a vision, it sounds so great, so exciting. You're motivated, the team's motivating, but almost immediately, you're gonna begin to encounter resistance against that. And it's gonna be tougher than you think, and it's gonna show up in unexpected ways And you're going to inevitably encounter that messy middle where you've got too much invested to quit, but you're not sure you've got the strength or the resources to finish and achieve the vision. So there's three specific things that I think you need to get through that. And the first one of those is just tenacity, you know, just to decide, first of all, not to be caught or be surprised when you get the resistance, but just to say, okay, that showed up. I knew it was going to, wasn't quite sure it was going to show up like that, but I get it and you have to dig deep and go back to your kind of your motivations what is motivating us to complete this vision what's at stake both good and bad and why should I I persevere through this and so you've got to find those reasons I think all of us as leaders have to find those those re- reasons so tenacity is key and important another thing is integrity you know we live in a world where people are often take shortcuts you know maybe they're willing to burn themselves out. Sacrifice their health, sacrifice their team, uh, sacrifice some value, maybe even their own honesty or integrity. But, uh, I, I think there's typically a challenge in some way to compromise your integrity and take a shortcut that is going to violate something that you hold near and dear. This is why we have very clear core values. That's a totally other process, but we have a clear values uh, that, that sort of act as guardrails that keep us from compromising our integrity. And I, I talk about in the book, when I became uh, the publisher of one of Thomas Nelson's 14 divisions, Nelson Books, and that division was 14 out of 14 dead last in every important financial metric. So I went off, and this was kind of the beginning of me discovering what vision was, and I just started to jot down what I wanted instead, what I saw in about three years, and what I'd like to see. And I wrote it in the present tense, like I'm talking about, went back and shared it with the team, everybody got super excited about it. But then, literally, 30 days in, we had a major crisis because our biggest book of the year, we were about to publish. The book had been edited. It was at the printers. We had paid over a million dollars royalty advance for this book. We were expecting a couple million dollars in revenue. And I suddenly heard that the author had kind of flipped out and was spouting a bunch of Crazy stuff that uh, and I don't want to get too specific here because we ended up getting a lawsuit over this, but it was stuff that we couldn't endorse as a publisher and wouldn't have been proud to be associated with. So I was faced with the decision of whether we were going to move forward with that book or if we were going to go ahead and go forward with the book uh, in the interest of accomplishing the vision. And I tell the story in the book. It was a long, drawn-out process. And my boss, even my immediate boss, challenged me and said, why does this have to be an issue of integrity? Why can't you just do it? You know, we're not responsible for her behavior. The book is fine. Let's just do it. And my answer to that was, but we're providing her with an enormous platform. We're going to get blowback on it. So there was kind of a philosophical commitment to the integrity of our position, but also a practical realization that in some way we were going to participate in all these Shenanigans that she was doing, so I told him I couldn't do it. I just said, "Look, I just I can't do it. I'm not trying to grandstand, but I just can't compromise inte- my integrity. If you want to publish it, I mean, you know, go ahead. Obviously, it's you're the boss, but I just can't be a party to it." So he said, "Whoa, well, I've got to think about that." I went, I went literally, Eric, back to my office, told my assistant to get some boxes from the facilities department because I didn't think I was going to have a job, and I <laughs> I started packing up. So um, I don't know, within thirty minutes or so. My boss's boss called. This was the CEO of the company at the time. He called me. He had heard about it. He was on a business trip in California. He called me and he said, Hey, um, I just talked with your boss. He told me what's up, but I want to hear it from you. What is going on? What's it going to cost us? And why do you think we should do it? And so he listened. So I talked for maybe 20 minutes and I said, you know, here's the issue. Here's why I think we need to pull the plug. Here's what I think is at stake. And this is why I think it's the right decision. And he said, do it with my blessing. Pull the plug. He knew exactly what it was going to cost. Now, I had a little bit of trouble with my boss for a few months <laughs> because the big boss went against my boss and gave me the power to do that. But here's what was really cool, Eric. First of all, uh, within about two months, I started reporting to the CEO. He just He could tell I was discouraged because my immediate boss wasn't making it easy on me. But here's what happened immediately. It galvanized my team. They realized that we were unwilling to compromise our integrity, and we were willing to take a a stand for principle, and we did. And that year, I had told the CEO it was going to take us three years to turn around that division. It ended up taking us a year and a half. And I think it was in large part because here's the thing about resistance. It's like a plane taking off. You know, you you can see the resistance as something that holds you back, or you can sprout wings and let it drive the lift of your organization. And that's exactly what happened to us. So integrity is something important not to compromise. I'm not talking about, you know, flexibility or issues of strategy, but I'm talking about these philosophical issues that would cause you to compromise something that you hold near and dear. And then the third thing is courage. So tenacity, integrity, and then courage. I think that Courage is is a part of achieving anything in the world, anything important, whether it 's goals but particularly vision and Sometimes, in the pursuit of a vision, you just have to do what a lot of people have called you know do it scared and Courage is not the same as confidence. I learned this from Dan Sullivan. Um, they look the same on the outside, but inside they feel very different. you know there 's so many things i 've done where I had to screw up the courage to do them, and I was terrified inside. But courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to act in spite of the fear. So it takes all three.
0: I couldn't help but think of when you're talking about the resistance and, and growing wings. I know that in flight, the science is that you have a certain amount of pressure in one place and you have different kind of pressure in another. You know, if you think of the resistance as pressure, well, you just want to make sure you have that pressure in the right place and then you can fly.
1: Well, that's that's a good insight. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: So it's not the, and again, that ties right into the courage thing because the, you know, we, we think of the resistance as something to be afraid of, but that doesn't mean we don't act against the resistance, even if it's always present. So.
1: Well, and I, and I think all those issues that create that resistance, you know, like whatever resistance is when it comes to, uh, aeronautics, it creates drag on one side of the wing, and that's what creates yes. the lift and and i think that when we're looking at the resistance in the pursuit of a vision something that slows us down is typically something unwelcome welcome and that's the thing about uh resistance it does look like it's slowing you down but actually it can be incredibly important there's some lesson you need to learn something that needs to be reshaped or rethought but that whole refining process is is what actually contributes to the fulfillment of the vision and to it typically being uh bigger than you even imagined at the beginning, one of the things that uh, Megan, my oldest daughter and our COO, we were sitting in our office the other day, and we reflected back three years ago when we leased this office space. Now we're completely out of space. We it's it's like way too low. It's it's a third of the space that we need, and she and I were just laughing. Because three years ago, we were looking at the vision of where our company was going, and we thought this is going to be a huge stretch, you know, for us to lease this space, and do we really need this much space, and maybe we're being too aggressive – Well, as it turns out, we weren't aggressive enough. Now we're looking for a space that's probably, I don't know, five or six times the size we have because our, our team has grown. We've, we're now 40 full time people. Uh, we're trying to hire another 12 people right now because of the growth that we've experienced over the last couple of years. And so that's just a, just a point that, you know, you do your best to see the vision of a bigger, better future. But oftentimes because of how the resistance works and how you respond to it, the vision will actually be bigger than what you imagined.
0: Honestly, I'm super excited for you because I've seen the space there and I can imagine how full it is now with people coming and going all the time, but that it's not even really adequate at this point enough
1: space-wise. It's crazy. We were there yeah. yesterday, Mondays, and we're recording this on Tuesday, but on Mondays is always the busiest day. And, and our space is kind of like our own co-working space. So we don't uh, require anybody to come into the office, but everybody's welcome whenever they want. But Mondays, oh my gosh, you know, it was just buzzing and it was jammed in there. And, uh, you know, there's a certain energy to that that I absolutely love, yeah. but we could use a little more elbow room.
0: I, you know, as you were telling the story about how your, your team got galvanized when you stuck to your integrity, I couldn't help but think that that was a one of, but not the only way of communicating the vision. It's almost, uh, that was the actions of communicating the vision, you know, where you, you live by your principles.
1: Yeah, totally. And I, and I think that what happens to a lot of leaders when they encounter some turbulence, they want to give up on the vision. You know, they think, oh, what was I thinking? You know, this is too far out there. It's no longer believable. But this is when you need the vision more than ever. You know, when I was in the middle of the Great Recession, about 2009, I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson at that time. And it it was brutal. I mean, the marketplace was brutal. The book industry was really going through a lot of changes. And our sales fell 20% in one year, which for an organization of our size doing about a quarter of a billion dollars of sales a year, that was catastrophic. You know, we ended up having to lay about 20% of our people off. And I remember saying to um my executive coach, I said, I am so tired of talking about the vision. In fact, I'm a little embarrassed to talk about the vision. And she said, well, first of all, when you're tired of talking about the vision, you're about 50% done. She said, you've got to keep talking about it because vision, Andy Stanley says vision leaks. She said vision evaporates. And if you don't just keep pouring the water on the plant of your company, it's not going to continue to grow. You, you know, people lose vision. They're, they're, they're so involved in the day-to-day activities and the day-to-day grind that they lose perspective. And it's your job as a leader to connect the dots, to help them see how their daily actions connect to the vision of what you're ultimately trying to become. And if you as the leader don't give voice to that vision, who will, that's one of the primary jobs of a leader: find the future and then continually remind people of where you're going.
0: Yeah, well, and this ties in to something I'm glad you brought this up. It ties in, in my mind, to something I was kind of looking at as the the life cycle of a vision. I know you kind of call it a, uh, the vision arc. I would love it if you would describe this to me and what a, what a vision arc is, and then how zags play into that.
1: Yeah, so there's a predictable arc. That happens in businesses. So you've got the startup, you know, and and I go through uh, each of these seven different stages in the book. But there's the startup, there's rising, you know, when you're beginning to ascend and everything's going great and you're experiencing growth. Then there's the transitioning and transitioning where between this and what I call the mature straight uh, stage, this is kind of like the top of the arc. And this is where a lot of organizations begin to lose their vision. It's just kind of business as usual. They're just kind of continuing to make incremental gains, but not really that much. The problem is if you settle for that, if you don't continue to come up with a new vision, then you kind of end up in the legacy mode where you're just kind of living off the past. The vision, the future is not really driving you. You're living off the past. Then there's the zombie stage (laughs) where where you're alive, but barely, and there is no vision. You know, everybody's a a little bit panicked. It's hard to um, recruit people. It's hard to keep good people. And then there's... You're just dead. You know, that's the last stage. And so most organizations will go through this, but the key to uh, changing things, if you find yourself on sort of the backside of that arc and you're beginning to go to that legacy mode is to zag, to conjure up a vision, to come up with a vision. And to be able to move forward on that, you've got, and, and honestly, the best organizations are constantly changing the vision. And I don't mean like every year, but I mean, as they approach the accomplishment of that vision, they're seeing that behind that mountain, there's another mountain, if not an entire mountain range. So you got, you've got to continually drive that vision as a leader or your, or your company is going to experience the backside of that arc and end up a zombie or end up dead.
0: And we've all seen examples of this where, you know, companies have suddenly with resurgence become a brand new company almost. I mean, we've seen this with I mean, especially with Apple, where uh, Steve Jobs returned and streamlined their product line specifically. That's one of the components of the vision. Um, There's been a couple other uh, examples. I know you talk about Lego in the book for sure.
1: Yeah. You know, Lego's in the book. I talk about Microsoft. You know, Microsoft's a great uh example of a company that under Steve Ballmer's leadership, you know, pretty much became a legacy company, you know, is just not doing that much. You know, they had such a huge footprint that, uh, you know, they could survive without vision for a long, long, long time. And then they got a new CEO, uh, a guy whose name I can never pronounce, but uh Satya N- Nadella. And boy, he, is, he was quick to identify the internal issues that were choking and holding back Microsoft's success. He, he wrote a great book called Hit Refresh, but he created a new vision for the future. And Microsoft has really come back. It's been amazing to see what they've been able to do in the last couple of years. I myself, who am an Apple, total Apple geek, have been tempted by that Microsoft Surface computer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, uh, I have to say, I join you there. It's been a little bit interesting to see, you know, in the coffee shop occasionally when I'm there, somebody using something, and I'm like, that's not an Apple, but I'm curious about how it works.
1: Yeah, I know. It's so. um, even the even the Microsoft Office Suite, you know, is I'm, right? I'm taking another look at it. <laughs> right, I was like. Used to make fun of it. Now I'm like, you know, there's some pretty cool things there.
0: Yeah, that's some great examples of of how, you know, it's not ever really... Too late. I mean, I, I suppose it could be too late, but uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be. In other words, so no,
1: it definitely doesn't have to be. You know, I give examples in the book of like the zombie zag. If you're in that state, you know, I talk about Marvel in the book. I talk about yes. United Record uh, Pressing Company, which is a company here in Nashville that was in the vinyl record business that was kind of in that zombie state when everything transitioned musically to digital, and then there was this sudden revival of vinyl records, and now they're 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 back to working. You know, three shifts, seven days a week. You you know, their business has just gone crazy. So, you know, it's not over till it's, till it's over and until you walk off the field and until you refuse to come up, come up with new vision.
0: This is something that maybe comes in the front end of implementing a vision, but also comes to head potentially in zagging. How involved do you as someone who's maybe near the top of the organization's leadership allow the voice of the Uh, the employees, the team, to uh, speak into what they think the vision should be?
1: Well, here's where I think it needs to be both and, not either or. Here's what a leader can't do. He can't abdicate his responsibility or her responsibility to find the future. So that's, first and foremost, The leader of the organization's responsibility. And by the way, if you're leading a department or leading a vision or leading a division, you still have to have a vision for the domain over which you preside. But at the same time, this is not like, you know, you're going to go to the mountain and then you're going to return like Moses with the Ten Commandments. You know, that's that's not the picture we're after either. So one of the things that we encourage our coaching clients to do is set aside some time like a day, go off and we have a series of prompting questions. I have a series of prompting questions in the book, The Vision Driven Leader, that will walk you through the process of creating your first draft of the vision, because for most people that are not writers and frankly, for even those of us who are writers, there's nothing more frightful than staring at a blank screen and going, whoa. I don't even know where to start. So I've got a series of prompting questions that will help you walk through this process. After you come up with this, you've got to think of it as wet cement. It's basically a sketch. Then what do we encourage people to do? And it depends on the size of your organization. But go back and then share that with your leadership team. But here's what you're going to say. You're going to say something like, look, I really feel like a vision is important. We've got to be clear collectively on where it is we're taking this organization. I've spent some time coming up with the first draft. This is not set in stone. It's wet cement. And I really need your input to get it right. And so based on that, you lead those people that are on your leadership team in a series of conversations about it. And you just work on it until you have alignment around it. Then what I would suggest is you share it with all the employees. You're going to find that some um are going to be, you know, hey, great. That's exactly what we needed. And by the way, Visionary leaders, that's like the second most important trait that employees say that they want out of a boss. Integrity is number one. Number two is vision. Isn't that amazing? You got to involve them, but a few of them might have some input that you didn't consider and you need to fold that in. But this is not creating vision by committee. That doesn't work. You know, it's not a democracy either. You know, but you also want the input of the people that are on the ground. We do that, by the way, constantly with employee surveys, with uh, we, we meet once a month with all of our team. We meet once a quarter for team training. We meet on an annual basis where we kind of roll out the plan for the next year. And we're always open to their input. There are people that see things that we don't see. And it's it's been enormously helpful.
0: It seems like the vision is, you know, the three states, it's gas, liquid and solid all at the same time.
1: Yeah, it, it kind of is.
0: In different places.
1: Yeah, you know, it's never, it, again, it's never like something mystical revealed to you that you just kind of come down and it's never going to be changed. You got to always be open to new input. You know, there may be things that that where your vision was obscured because of something you just couldn't see because you had to get to that next state. You know, and again, I, I kind of think of it as a, a, as a series of mountains so that, you know, you can't see sometimes the mountains that are behind the mountain that's looming in front of you. But once you get a little bit more altitude, you say, oh. There's a whole range back here that I couldn't see from where I was initially when I came up with this. And that's certainly true for us. I mean, I, I didn't concoct back when I started this company in 2011. You know, I didn't think of the full focus planner. That wasn't even on my radar. I could I didn't think of your best year ever or free to focus. All that stuff came into view as I began to make progress on the initial vision.
0: Well, I love uh, metaphors. I, I talk in them all the time. Uh, the vision, <laughs> literal vision, uh, metaphor here of the mountains, uh, ties in so clearly, uh, which also is ironic to say clearly and, and the words clarity and vision altogether, because it is about, it's, it's about one part dreaming of what it's supposed to be. And the other part making that vision a reality.
1: Yes. And and I think that so often Eric, Leaders don't give themselves permission to dream. We, we've been taught, we've had it, you know, our, our heads beat uh, about the need to be realistic. Well, we need to start with the dream. We need to rediscover the dreaming process. Dream is actually the juice that motivates your team. It's what keeps your organization uh, working when it encounters the resistance. It, it's what keeps everybody focused and going in the same direction. And, you know, most people don't show up uh, just to go through the daily grind they wanna build something together. And I wanna say, this is particularly important for millennials. I've got a company full of millennials, and they often get a bad rap. People say they don't have a good work ethic. I think that's nonsense. If, as a leader, you've got a clear mission, and you've got a clear vision, and you take time to constantly connect people's daily actions to the big vision and remind people of what we're building together and where we're going and why it matters, you'll find that millennials are the hardest working people you could ever employ. In fact, I I would say even broader than millennials. It's true for everybody, but particularly for millennials. For sure.
0: Yeah, I I love talking about all the different compartments that we can put people into based on their age and their perspective on life. But in the end, there's so many exceptions to the rule that it almost needs to be thrown out. But again, I've, I've always encountered millennials as people who have seen what the prior generations have done and said, well, I like this about that and I don't like this about that. So I'm going to make my own path.
1: Exactly. So yeah, nothing wrong with that.
0: Nothing wrong with that. Ah, man. Uh, there's so much more that we could dig into. There's so much practical application in the book at, as not just a what a vision is, not why it matters, but the how of doing it and creating one. In fact, uh, as we were talking, it kind of hit me that this book is almost a three year best year ever plan for your business in a way.
1: It, it kind of is, you know, I, I actually think it's a little bit like living forward for your business. Yeah, the you know, book Living Forward that I wrote with Daniel Harkavy is really about creating a life plan and having a vision for the totality of your life in each of these major domains of life. This book is really focused on business and how do you create a vision that drives, like I said before, alignment and execution and creates kind of your best company ever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and here's the thing. People who are listening to this conversation have probably listened to different conversations you and I have had and can see from macro to micro where this fits in in that mid level macro planning of living forward and best year ever. But it trickles down into then how the implementation happens on a yearly and quarterly and daily basis that even free to focus and the full focus planner come into play. So this fits squarely in the wheelhouse. I'm encouraged to see it. And even if you're not coming at this book with a business owner mentality, there's a lot of great stuff to get out of this as a team member.
1: Well I think that's true and I and I think that if you're trying to build any kind of organization even in the nonprofit uh, realm uh, interestingly in our coaching program we have a lot of pastors and we've said to them do you want a separate group that's just for pastors and they said no we want to be with the business guys because that you know iron sharpens iron and that yes. makes us think in new ways And so this vision thing works in those kinds of organizations as well. Nonprofits, churches. Uh, we just got done teaching a huge, uh, one day workshop. In fact, our mutual friend Blake did it with the Marine Corps. And so it works in the military. I mean, you know, without vision, the people perish. And I don't care whether you're, uh, you know, somebody working in an organization or somebody leading an organization, small, large, for-profit, non-profit. You need vision. Vision is the gas that makes your organization go.
0: Is there any place specifically that we want to drop people to where they can get a taste of the book or just outright order it?
1: Absolutely. So you can go to vision dot com slash beyond. And Eric, we have a special treat for your listeners. First of all, there's a bunch of bonuses if you buy buy the book and you can just go to uh, vision dot com and you can find out all about those. But if you go to slash beyond, I want to give you guys something that we call the clear vision cheat sheet. This is a free tool. It'll go through the seven steps you need to get started on your vision of the future today. And again, you can download it free. Again, it's at visiondrivenleader.com slash beyond. Perfect,
0: visiondrivenleader.com slash beyond. I'll link up to that in the show notes. Michael, it's always great to talk with you. Can't wait to talk with you again. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to do list. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Michael Hyatt. I always love talking with Michael. Now is definitely the time to go to vision slash beyond to grab the book and the bonuses. And now is the perfect time to drill down into this specific need for you, your company, wherever you are a leader, because no matter what, you are one wherever you are. You are the CEO of your own desk, as Chris Brogan says. I hope that you found this conversation helpful for wherever you're at right now, and that if you found it helpful, you'd do me the favor of sharing it with someone else you know needs to hear it, whether that's hitting the share button right now wherever you're at listening to this in your podcast player app of choice, or heading on over to the show notes at three one seven. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next episode.